0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. A few years ago, Betsy and I uh, made the transition to, we, uh, we started paying for everything with a credit card. Now, all of you Dave Ramsey disciples, just take a deep breath, okay? All right, just, just don't start throwing things at me yet. Um, for, for, we paid off in full every month, okay? So we don't carry a balance. We're, we're at a stage of life where we can do this. And we do it simply for the miles, the air miles. Uh, as you know, our, our daughter and her new husband are in Boston. Our two sons are in Pittsburgh. You know, we'd like to see them now and then. And so for the miles, you know, we've, it's enabled us to get a few tickets over the, the last few years. And in fact, Betsy's heading up later this summer to spend time with, uh, our daughter and her, n- her new husband. So that's why we do it. And, well, anyways, the statement came this week. And so, I don't know about you, but I I, I track everything in Quicken. It's an a, a fi- home fi- personal finance manager. And so the statement comes, and yesterday afternoon I'm I'm entering it all one at a time, every line, just because then I put it all right. You know, how much we spend on food and clothes or whatever it is, and so I'm you know I do this every month. Last yesterday's there was I actually counted in preparation for what i'm sharing here i the, i had 70 entries so i'm well into this for over an hour you know putting it takes me a little minute or two to do each one and i'm on my 65th entry so i only have 5 more to go and i mistakenly hit the escape button instead of the one the one the escape button is right above the one and i hit the thing and it all just disappeared and, and it, it was, you know, usually your software, it says, are you sure you want to do it? But with this particular program, it treats escape as cancel. And so it literally just wiped out everything I'd done for the past hour, hour plus. Instantly was just gone. And I literally just sat there staring at my screen, stunned. <laughs> And then panic. And then I'm like screaming, like, well, maybe it's up here. And I'm going up and through. Did it, you know, is it at the bottom or at the top? And I'm, and it's not there. And then I'm getting frustrated. And then I got angry. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? You know, I'm just like, oh, I went down and pulled bets. <laughs> and her loving, sympathetic, says, why don't you save it? <laughs> Oh, you're right. Thank you. That was helpful. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's she's teaching me like I say my stuff every five minutes. Like, thank you, mom. Um, (laughs) But here's the thing. In that that short window of, of time, I probably had four or five different emotions running through me simultaneously. From just exasperation to shock to anger and just, uh, it was just, it was one of those moments. You ever have one of those moments? (laughs) As we read our passage this morning, we're going to find Paul having one of those moments. Now, where we've come from, we're in week four of a six-week series on the book of Galatians. And we've learned a few things over the past few weeks that the letter itself, that the book of Galatians is actually a letter. It's a, and what we call it, as a circular letter. In other words, it went to a group of people. And so one group would read it, and then when they were done with it, they would pass it along and share it to the next group, and then so on to, to all the groups that had a chance to read it. Paul spends the first part of the letter defending his authority as an apostle. He said, "I received this directly from Jesus," and he's establishing the fact that what he's saying in this letter, he is is qualified to say, and it's appropriate that he does that. He then spent the next section, uh, part, uh, chapter two, largely defending his gospel. And what I mean by that, he refers to this as new, that sense that the gospel that you heard from me, that you don't need to follow Jewish customs and traditions. Because remember, Christianity came out of Judaism. All the early converts were Jews. And so following the Jewish customs and traditions is just what they did. Putting their faith in Jesus was in addition to that. Um, And so as things began to progress, what was happening and what we learned here in Galatians is that there were some of the Christian Jews from Jerusalem were going up into Galatia, which is present-day Turkey, and telling the, Jew, the, the new Christians there that if they really wanted to please God, they also had to follow the Jewish laws and, and customs and traditions. And Paul is freaking out that they would do this. Because he said, this is not at all what we've talked about. Last week we looked at you know, how Paul was able to confront Peter um, in a way that preserved both truth and the relationship between them, which is important. And to this point, the primary issue that's being addressed by Paul is that um, it's just this idea of, of law versus grace. And the, the law says, do the right things and you will live. Grace says, believe the right things and live. The law shows us how to live righteous before God, but it, but it cannot make us righteous before God. And we're going to come back to that, because that's an important distinction. The, the passage in Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message we have from Paul, the letter that uh, 2,000 years later we get to read and learn from and understand. So, Father, I pray in the next few moments that uh, you, your spirit would speak to us, that each of us, Lord, would hear what we need to hear, and uh, your spirit would would uh, just address those things in our life that might need to be addressed. And so we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things to note. Um, in this passage. Um, in those six in those five in the first five verses, so the sixth one actually just talk about Abraham, in those first five verses, there are six questions. You know, are you so foolish? Where'd you learn this? This is what I want to know. That is a very common Roman Greek rhetorical practice. You front you front load a conversation with, with questions that really aren't questions. They're statements. Paul's literally saying, really, you're going to wear that shirt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess not. Not today. Um, how many of us husbands have heard that question uh, coming out? But, um, but so that's what's happening here is Paul is using a very common rhetorical uh, mechanism. So his hearers, the people reading this, would understand what he's doing, that he's, he's setting the course, he's setting context for what's coming. Two times he refers to them as foolish. And one of of the references I was looking at in in this verse, the, the comment was this. He said, this was more than a reprimand. It expresses Paul's deep concern, his exasperation, and his perplexity in their complete lack of spiritual discernment. So all these emotions were going through Paul in these five verses as he's trying to deal with a situation that he thinks would be very detrimental and even destructive to their faith. And then in verse 1, he talks about before your very eyes, Jesus clearly portrayed as being crucified. What he's saying there is that I laid it out to you, directly to you. You didn't hear this from someone else. You didn't come through some other means. I laid it out directly to you as to what was happened, that our salvation hinges on the crucifixion of Jesus. He, you know, another, he could, another way of is, I couldn't have been any more clear. So he is very, again, not real happy. Paul's upset. He can't understand why the Galatians would even consider the idea of attempting to follow the law. The law is of no value to those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. So, But it does ask the question, what place did the law have in the scheme of things? It was there. Why was it there? And I think to understand that may help a little bit, just to understand why Paul is reacting so strongly against it. We know that the purpose of the law, it's, it's interesting, when, when God, you know, when, when the, the law first comes out uh, in the Old Testament with Moses, it's not as if God lays out, you know, sorry, here's, here's historically, you know, a thousand years from now, here's why those look back and see it. But Paul is able to look back and say, here's what's going on. Here's why this happened. Couple of th- and so there's a few things we can say about this with, with clarity. One is that the, the law revealed the character of God. The Ten Commandments, let's just take those. <clears throat> the first four of them deal with our relationship with God. The six, the second, not second, the second half, the, the, the final six, all deal with our relationships with one another. So we can tell just from the fact of what those laws identified that God was concerned about relationships. He, he was very much concerned about our relationship with him, but he was also concerned about our relationships with one another. The second thing that reveals is that the law reveals the sinfulness of man and the reality of our need for a Savior. Here's the thing, and we talked about this a little bit last week as well. Following the rules does not make us or bring us closer to God. If if anything, it actually makes us feel as if we're farther away because most of us break rules. And so that attempt to always try to measure up, never feeling as if you do... (laughs) rather than actually bringing you closer to God, causes you to feel more distant from him. And so it made, them, made us, made them realize that there's something else that's needed. And a third purpose for the law is that it prepared the way for Jesus Christ. Literally, there, there just has to be something better. There has to be something better than this if we're to have restoration with God. So that was the purpose of the law. There's a problem with it, though. And then I highlighted a couple things uh, there. But one of the things uh, that that clearly comes out, and Paul's talking about this uh, throughout his letter, is that the law demands full obedience, and this means obedience in all things. So if you break one law, you step outside the law. In other words, if you break one, you've broken them all. You're outside the law. You're a law breaker. So, but yet when you break the law, you, there's a sense that you're outside of God's approval, and so there's this this pressure to try to be inside the law. But here's the problem: Do you know how many laws there are in in the think um, the Torah, is the Jerusalem, but the first five books of the Old Testament? Six hundred and thirteen. 613, 248 of them do's, like you're supposed to do this, you know, do that, do this. There are 365 do nots. Don't do this, don't do that. So 613 commandments that that we get directly from Moses and and, um, within the first five books of the Old Testament. But now here's what was going on, though. um, Some of you may have been familiar with the Mishnah which is an oral tradition of for Jewish, um, of Judaism. And so what was happening there was even after Moses and it's, it's continued to grow. But even back in the time of Paul, this idea that if a little bit of a law was good, a lot is better. And so they devised, there are 39 major categories for, 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 um, Work that's prohibited. Oh, so oh, I'm sorry, let's go back to the commandment of the, um, um, obey the Sabbath. Okay, so let's just, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Obey the Sabbath, and it says you're not to work. Do not work on the Sabbath. Okay, for us, that's just pretty straightforward. Not if you're one of the religious uh, Jewish leaders. They identified 39 major categories of work that is to be avoided on the Sabbath. And hundreds of subcategories within those. So to things like, if you have wa- if you have flowers in your house and you want to add fresh water, that's work. Because you are sowing, you are adding, you are contributing to the, a plant growing. So that's the same thing. If you're out sowing seeds and the thing, you can't add water to uh, flowers that are just sitting in a vase in your home. No braiding of your hair. It's weaving. And so they, someone could see that and say, oh, they're not, they're working. They're, they're, um, um, yeah, may you would be in big trouble, wouldn't you? But, uh, so yeah, she, yeah, she, she couldn't, couldn't, couldn't braid hair. This is one that, uh, and I don't know why these all pertain to women. Sorry, but they do. The last one is no application of makeup. That's considered dying. Like you change the color of some things. So something as simple as applying makeup was perceived as work, or actually was, you didn't even want, to, didn't even want to be misunderstanding. And so, none of that. So they had literally thousands of these rules of things that you can't do, and this just pertains to the Sabbath. And then we've got all the other stuff that's out there. Literally, keeping the law becomes almost a competition. And Paul talks about this. He says, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. When keeping the law, I was it. I was the best. He kept the law. But ultimately, because there's so many laws, ultimately all of us are lawbreakers. And that's the problem. Another problem with the law is that the law reveals righteousness but cannot make us righteous. Now this is one of those things where I think time and cultural distance help us not understand some of the aspects of this. How many of you have ever seen movies or documentaries of, of uh, the, the kings of the medieval times, you know, European, you know, German, England, you know, Henry VIII and all those other, and you've seen stories, you know, so you understand kind of uh, the king and, and the divine, you know, divine sovereignty and all that kind of stuff that was happening there here's the thing. You could be an incredibly powerful landowner. All kinds of political influence, control, literally regions and territories. But if you were not of royal blood, you were perceived as a little less than. You weren't royalty. You had, you had power, and you, had, you had influence, you had wealth, but you weren't royal. In contrast to that, A third cousin to the king, who could have absolutely no power or authority, could absolutely be worthless as far as what they contribute to society, because they had royal blood, even a small percentage, because they had royal blood flowing through their veins, they were perceived as being royal, and they were treated differently. So here's here's the thing, and here's why that matters. When Paul's talking to us about... What happens when we come to Christ? He's literally saying that when you put your faith in Jesus, you are given a blood transfusion. You no longer have to work to earn the favor of God. You are now of His blood. We are sons and daughters of the King. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's like, folks, you don't have to try to make the King happy anymore. You are His son, you are His daughter. You are his child. We are righteous not because we work and somehow attain it. We are righteous because we are sons and daughters of the king. We have the blood of Christ in us. We are righteous because we are sons and daughters. So in response to the law, Paul points us to the provision of God's grace. <clears throat> Jesus... redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus, the righteous one, became sin so that we might be righteous as well. Through Jesus Christ and his provision, we are made right with God by grace through faith, We receive the blessing given to Abraham. We receive the promised Holy Spirit. And we are united as one body of believers. As I wrap up this morning, just some of my thoughts. I actually want to circle back to verse 2. Caleb, can we get that on the screen? Thank you. Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? By asking this question, Paul is causing them to reflect on their experience. And he expects them to remember what happened when they came to Christ, that the spirit came when they received the gospel. The thing I think is significant, it's really kind of underplayed here, but if you really look at of all of Paul's letters, and, and, and this one a little further on as well, the activity of this Holy Spirit ties together all that Paul talks about. So for me, the question as I'm reading this is, how did the Spirit manifest itself with the people? What did that look like? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. Um, What we do know is that Paul's, from from his writing, that both he and the Galatians knew what he's referring to. The way he's writing, there's an assumption on his part he knows what he's talking about, and there's an assumption that he knows that they know what he's talking about. But we don't know because he doesn't specify it. But here, we do know this as well, that the Spirit came when they put their faith in Jesus. So, Sometimes as Pentecostals, we, we, we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and there's, a, there's this um, a manifestation of gifts and other things that happen. But one of the things that we have to be careful of is that we don't separate the Holy Spirit from conversion as well. The Holy Spirit comes to us at the point of conversion. Anything other than that, and we get into what they call tri where we separate God. We get all of God at conversion. We don't just get part of God, We get all of God at at that. So we do know that that we have the spirit at the point of conversion. And we also know that in verse 5, it's not here, but in verse 5, he refers to miracles that have occurred within their midst. So another way to look at this is that Paul is asking, did something really good happen to you when you did A... Or did, Which is, you know, following Jesus and putting your faith in your believing and putting your faith in Jesus. Or did something really good happen to you when you did B, following the law? Obviously for him, he's wanting them to reconnect with all oh, that happened when we did A. So my question is, what was the really good thing? What did that look like? But here's, and again, there's some uncertainty there, but here's my takeaway from that in this, this verse, why I think it's so important for us even today. My takeaway is this. If you're living by faith, the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life should be obvious to you. Let me say that again. If you're living by faith, the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life should be obvious to you. So if Paul were to ask you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard, how would you answer? by what we heard. Hopefully, after our... We've talked about so far, none of you would say by the law because we know that wouldn't be true. But here's what I'm wondering too, is sometimes some of us, our response would actually be, I'm not really sure that I've received the Spirit. In other words, I don't know that I often see the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And so if that's you or me today, my next question would be, would you like to be sure? Would you like to see that in your life? Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> you know, with with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I do want to just pause and, and just speak to some here that... Um, all the things we've been talking about in this series, all of it begins when we put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you, when you sign up to follow him. It's not about doing good things. It's not about attending church. It's not about doing anything that's an activity. It's entirely about surrendering your life to Jesus and making a decision to follow him. If you haven't done that yet, I really want to encourage you to take that step. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today is the day. Maybe now is that moment. And if you feel something in your own heart and life, in your own mind, just, that just might be the Holy Spirit prompting you that this is something you might need to do. And so I'm going to ask if, if you would like, if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus or to put your life in his hands but would like to, you'd like to start that journey that, that Paul has been talking about, just look up at me let our eyes meet. Uh, then you can close your eyes and uh, again, and that would be great. All right. It's hard to see with the lights, but amen. And then for the rest, I'm going to ask, um, or I'm going to suggest, I'm not going to ask, I'm going to suggest, that if, if you're not sure of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, that in this moment that you would ask for a fresh anointing, as for a fresh anointing of his Holy Spirit. That you would know beyond any doubt that the Holy Spirit, that God is alive and active in your life. That you have a transformational encounter with God. Heavenly Father, as we've uh, explored a little bit more about Paul's teaching and his words, we're very conscious of the fact that uh, your spirit is always at work in our lives. Whether we recognize it or not, you are working. My desire, Father, is that we would become more conscious of that work. We become more conscious of your activity. So, Father, for those who maybe for the first time are beginning that journey, I ask, Lord, that you would come alongside them uh, to to help guide and show them, Lord, the the steps they're to take, the paths they're to follow. For those of us, Father, who are asking for a fresh anointing, Lord, grant that request. Lord, may we be a people. May we here at Great Covenant Statesville be a people who sense your spirit, who walk by faith, who encounter you on a regular basis. Lord, what a great reputation that would be. So, Father, we do commit ourselves to your purposes and towards that end. It's in Jesus' name I pray.